Welcome to the first episode of our podcast, Interpacing Language. My name is Ivona, and with me are Honor and Frederick. We are very honored for our first guest, Professor Artemis Alexiadou. Professor Artemis Alexiadou is a leading and world-renowned expert in the field of syntax, morphology, syntax and its interfaces with morphology, the lexicon, and interpretation, diachronic syntax, language breakdown and development, and heritage languages. She holds the professorship for English linguistics at the Humboldt University of Berlin, where she also heads the research group Experimental Syntax and Heritage Languages. Professor Alexiado is vice director of the Leibniz Center for General Linguistics, SAS, where she heads the research area Syntax and Lexicon. She works as principal investigator of several projects, including the project Realizing Leibniz's Dream, Child Languages as a Mirror of the Mind. Professor Alexiado is a member of the National Academy of Sciences, the Norwegian Academy of Science and Letters, and the Academy of Europe. In 2014, she was awarded the Leibniz Prize for her outstanding achievements in the field. In 2016, she received an honorary doctorate from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Most importantly, Professor Alexiado is a source of inspiration and a role model for all of us, her students. Professor Alexiado, thank you very much for your time and for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, Ivona. And I think we'll just start with a more general question and then we'll dive in into some questions relating to one of your papers. So the general question we would have is what got you interested in working with nominalizations and how are they related to lexical aspect? And that's a very interesting question, <laughs> actually. I got interested in, in nominalizations during the late stages of my PhD, actually, which was on the syntax of adverbs. And while I was working on that and trying to develop a, a system which would account for adverb distribution, I noticed that there is some discussion in the literature that you can find adverbs within nominalizations. And that was a surprising fact because typically adverbs modify verb phrases. So this is the thing that got me interested in nominalizations. Once you get into this, then the question arises, how similar are verbs to nouns? Why do they differ? And then I got into all this discussion. So relating to the, to the second point, how does it relate to lexical aspect? Well, precisely this, because once you start looking at nominalizations, you, you see that they have some properties that are very similar to those of verbs. Once you notice this, you need to understand why. Right. That's a really interesting path, um, especially through, through looking at adverbs, because it is something that you don't really realize. And I think that brings us maybe already to your paper that we want to focus on in this discussion, which is called Number Aspect Interactions in the Syntax of Normalizations, a Distributed Morphology Approach. And yeah, we want to focus more on this. And I think Freddie has already some more introductory questions on this. Okay. So first of all, also thank you from, from my side for being here. And yeah, let's go basically to the paper. So in the article Uno just mentioned, an important distinction is made between the so-called inner and outer aspect. Could you elaborate on this distinction and tell us what role they play respectively in, in syntax and semantics? 
Right. So I guess inner aspect is one way to describe what other people refer to as axioms art or lexical aspect. So the division into the, let's say, the Fendler system, uh, states, activities, accomplishments, and, and achievements. And outer aspect refers to what other people call grammatical aspect or viewpoint aspect. So, I mean, German is a very bad language. I keep telling this, <laughs> repeating that in classes to, to show this, but in English, typically the distinction between the progressive and uh, simple form. So I, I guess since you're all having this class on, on aspect and events, uh, presumably one of the things you have discussed or you will encounter at some stage is how the two interact, how does the inner aspect and the outer aspect interact and what combinations are possible in, in languages that have both a grammatical aspect and a lexical aspect and, and what combinations are not possible. So what we did in that paper is to look at this interaction from the point of view of nominalization, to which extent can a nominalization include an outer aspect component in addition to the inner aspect, the lexical aspect component. So actually, I think we will go right deep into this connection you just opened up. So the next question would be, where does boundedness really fit in? So boundedness or telicity as a, as in the verbal area is usually associated with Aktionsart, but you propose that it also interacts with the outer aspect. So whenever I teach a, a class on aspect, I keep reminding students that unfortunately the, the literature in this area tends to be a bit confusing because people use different labels and define the same things in a different way or they give slightly or definitions that's different in some components but not all. So telicity is certainly, one would think, a, a property of verb phrases. So the, the verb and its complement, or in the case of motion verbs, let's say the verb and a, and a prepositional complement. However, the following is that when you have telic predicates and you put them in the progressive aspect, then all of a sudden the interpretation that you get is not a telic interpretation. Right? It's not that bounded interpretation. You get this sort of process-like reading. So what you notice in the case of nominalization is something similar. So you can, in some cases, nominalize a verb phrase that is telic or, or bounded, but then the nominalization gives you the process reading. So you find a similar kind of interaction. You also relate the possibility of so-called argument supporting nominalizations to pluralize to this very feature of boundedness and to a feature checking process of boundedness with the underlying classifier and a spectral phrase. Would it be conclusive to state that this feature checking process of boundedness is not only something which occurs in nominalizations, but could also explain the spectral differences between eat an apple, which is telic, and eat apples, which as a mass noun is atelic or is unbounded as a negative value for the feature boundedness and thus 
cannot enter into this feature checking process with the Telicity. Right. So here is now a matter, I think, a bit of implementation. So I have to say, I, I'm not sure what, what other papers you have discussed in the class or you will be discussing at a later stage. There are very syntactic treatments of this particular distinction. So, for example, in, in Borer's framework, you have a difference in the projection of the argument. So eat an apple may enter that type of checking relationship that you described, whereas eat apples doesn't. I think things are simpler in the verbal domain. What happens in the nominalization is that what we observed, and we were not the first ones to observe this, was that against to what Grimshaw had proposed in her work, that all nominalizations are mass nouns, when you nominalize telic predicates, then you can pluralize them. And now plurality is a feature that is a feature of noun phrases and, and not of verb phrases. So whatever happens within the domain of, of verb phrases somehow gives you a unit, which is a nominal unit, that you can then pluralize. So the case checking mechanism, which unfortunately, this is something that is not completely straightforward how you actually implement it, because you need to have some sort of agreement between features that are not categorial of the same type. At least in the paper in 2010, you had a verb phrase and then you had a nominal projection. So you need to have something that would allow this mechanism to work. And that cannot be the categorial identity because nominal number is yes nominal and whatever you had below is verbal. So the complication arises the minute you nominalize things and you want whatever is nominal to be sensitive to the fact that you get a unit that you can then apply the plural form to. And that has to be well something that is countable. So you have to translate the, the verbal telicity to nominal countability or resort to very abstract system where you say, well, basically it's the same thing and somehow this match. So you already mentioned the framework of Rea, and she is only one of many who recently proposed event decomposition approaches among, for example, Jillian Ramchand or Beth Levin and Rapaport Horov and your own con contributions as well. On the other hand, Chekendorf, who coined the term boundedness, concluded in his 1991 paper that a one-to-one -one mapping between syntax and semantics is not possible. So how do you see this mapping? Can we establish a one-to-one -one mapping between the syntax and the semantics? Yeah, well, this is now I can call it the 10 million <laughs> euro question, right? This is why we got the synergy grant for. Well, no, I mean, this is a debate that goes back, you know, I don't know how many um, decades. And you have, uh, as you correctly pointed out um, by the, the people you mentioned, you have people, you know, going all sorts of ways. So you have the people who believe that, you know, syntax basically reads off a very elaborate semantics. You have people who believe exactly the opposite. And you have people like Ramchand to the extent... Yeah, maybe Ramchand um, more clearly that uh, there are somewhere in between. So I guess there is not 
at the moment, there is not one answer that everybody would be happy with in this ERC grant that Uli Zarlander, August and I are supposed to start working on next year, from next year onwards, we, we follow a somehow different path that says that semantics is very rich and to the extent that uh, natural languages do not express overtly everything that there is in the semantics has to do with the fact that you somehow compress what you have in the semantics when you go into the syntax. But this is a, a working hypothesis. And as I said, people have been arguing in favor and, and against that view. So that's probably my last question, which builds kind of up on that. Putting the, the beliefs aside and uh, looking to the empiric data and also to comparing different approaches to, to grammar, what is the, the biggest strength, but also the biggest weakness of a decompositional approach compared to lexicalist alternatives like, for example, head-driven trace structure grammar? Well, I mean, uh, where decomposition uh, compositionists would agree, or rather what they would present as a one advantage is the fact that you do not need to have many lexical entries and the reason why this you know the compositional approaches started had to do with the flexibility of, of verbal meaning so if you didn't want to have multiple lexical entries for a given verb then the way to go would be to say, okay, what is flexible is the syntax, this particular predicates are found and they don't have, you know, a very detailed lexical meaning. It's just that they can be found in, 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 in different environments and depending on the environment they're found in, they're interpreted in a particular way. And this, I think this has been one of the strengths because the, argument was that the lexicon should not, you know, you, you don't need to have explosion in the lexicon. So that was basically the, one of the arguments. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to tell you what would be a weakness of the model. I think the, the, the strength is that, is that you allow flexibility in the syntax and then you need to come up with an explanation of why, you know, some combinations are not possible. And maybe that would be the weakness because here syntactic models have to resort to either selection. So it's because of selection that some things don't work or the reply that is not very satisfactory is that you can combine everything and then somehow you cannot interpret it. So maybe that would be... Um, something to 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 try to you know get rid of and uh, from the system all right thank you so i think ivona has uh, a couple of questions as well uh, yes i also have one question regarding methodology mm -hmm. in this paper you argue for a flexible syntactic theory that enables you to capture mixed properties of arguments supporting nominalizations in different language families romance germanic slavic 
my question is, do you consider this approach, mixing uh, pure minimalism and distributed morphology as a suitable methodological approach for any phenomenon that we want to investigate or the choice of the theory depends on the particular data that we want to explore? In other words, could we aim for a single flexible and more integrated theory? Again, this is <laughs> you want you want my personal opinion or you want a general opinion? <laughs> Your personal opinion. Well, okay. What I believe in is that when you formulate, when you look at at, at data and you formulate hypotheses, these hypotheses um, are theory driven so you don't look at data for the purposes of just looking at data there must be a question a theoretical question that you want to to contribute to or you want to to answer now the the specifics of the theory at the end of the day don't really matter so if you want if you if you are a lexicalist or you believe in the composition and this is what drives your your research or your question or the the way you look at the data i don't i don't think this is an issue that that there i think where i would have difficulties in is that for um you know every phenomenon you look at you pick a different theoretical framework i think that's a bit hard to 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 motivate I'm not saying that you should not build on insights from other frameworks and combine, you know, and, and build on work that has been done. But you cannot, I mean, this is normally not done. You don't have people who have one paper in, in that framework and that, and then another paper in a completely different framework uh, because each framework has a, a basic set of assumptions and, and some assumptions are, you know, incompatible. So you cannot then have a serious research output uh, if you change your basic assumptions from, from, from paper to paper. But I think where, where we all profit from is where you, you combine insights. So for example, the work on decomposition, uh, Beth Levine and Marga Rappaport's work is decompositional, but it's not strictly speaking syntactic. So they believe in, in you know, in lexical representations, but there, there's a lot of cooperation and, and, and uh, exchange of information and, in, uh, and results between more syntactic and more lexicalist frameworks. The specific question with distributed morphology and the minimalism is that you can do minimalism without necessarily doing distributed morphology. It's not really clear to me that you can do distributed morphology without doing minimalism in the sense that there are some very basic assumptions that distributed morphology has adopted from uh, the minimalist program, like phases, things like that. So there are some basics of minimalism that you can, that are now basics also of distributed morphology. Yes, sure. Yeah. Thank you. And I have one more question regarding NPDP hypothesis. So comparing the nominalizations in Romanian and English, so both article languages, you conclude that in Romanian, the enclitic definite article realizes the, while in English, no determiner is present. Later, when discussing the Polish data, your analysis shows that no matter whether Polish is DP or no DP language, your argumentation remains unaffected. 
So do you consider this as evidence that the so-called NPDP parameter does not play that important role as we used to think? Well, um, the, you're asking this because you have Boscovich's paper. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I think, I mean, this is again a, a very, as you know, a topic of great controversy and debate, right? So people have argued both ways. And of course, um, Jelko Boscovich is one of the prominent figures that states that the DP hypothesis is not universal. I think when it comes to nominalizations, it's not clear to me, even if he is right about this, I'm not really sure that uh, nominalizations is the area where you, you would look for support for, for his position, basically because it depends on, on, on you know, where you want to introduce the arguments. There's a lot of flexibility that even, even his system allows, even if you don't have a DP, in principle, the arguments could be somewhere below the DP. So I'm not sure nominalizations would be the core case to determine the correctness of his hypothesis, but he made the point and people have tried to argue against his point also on the basis of nominalization data. Okay, thank you. These are my questions. All right. So we promise it'll be uh, 30 minute tops and let's keep our promise. Okay. And uh, so this is for a class, as you know. So we hope that one of the main audiences will be students. Maybe diving a bit away from the more specific questions. Would you have any like recommendation you would give students learning about language structures, maybe for both academic and teaching careers? Because class is so mixed what what they should do <laughs> in their what, what, what should they do <laughs> so i mean i know from experience that when you're teaching aspect or courses on aspect it's not immediately clear to people why 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 they need to know about this but actually i think especially in the context of a german university in an English department is actually the best thing to teach because of how the two languages differ. So this is an area where you find a lot of cross-linguistic variation. So even if you're not interested in the more theoretical questions, we, we have been discussing that the, the practical aspect is the aspect of interference, right? So, you know, because there's no language that has exactly the same uh, organization of the aspectual system as the next. So it's, it's, it's very important to know about the basic notions, how they interact and, and how languages vary. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually uh, a lot of fun <laughs> when, when once you, you, you realize as, as a speaker, what kind of uh, interference uh, errors you, you produce because your first language doesn't have the system English has and what kind of overgeneralizations you may come up with. And also in the, in the area of, of lexical aspect here, you know, it's really very interesting that at least most of the languages, at least the, the two German and English, that makes sense, they're in the same family, but also other languages have very similar properties and they don't quite instantiate it in the same way. 
So then you need to worry about the interaction with the grammatical aspect in English. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a perfect perfect closing word, and it kind of shows that everyone can uh, can get something from this. And it it seems like you already know what we're going to do next because we will look at some some of the oh, same I languages. Know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, but you you don't, but you kind of predict it. Um, because that's what we will try to do. We will look at different first languages that we have in the yeah. course and try to analyze. But I mean, we as in the podcast, you, you yeah, knew yeah. what Frederick, Ivono, and I wanted to do without okay. knowing it. That's great. It's good that I predicted it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So so I can just say thank you so much for, for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much. And for your in-depth answers. You. And good luck with uh, your podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. 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 Bye.